When you work in educational leadership, you don't get off at five o'clock. Your mind is always on the clock, thinking of ways to solve problems for your students, parents, and teachers. On the Clock is your go-to podcast to learn valuable insights from education leaders across the United States. I'm your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, former White House appointee to the U.S. Department of Education, and we are now On the Clock. Welcome back to On the Clock. I'm your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb. Uh, again, interviewing some folks at the National Summit on Education here in Salt Lake City. Uh, and I have to uh, start by saying I'm, I'm talking to a teacher for the very first time in this podcast history. Uh, Sylvie Brownstein is a teacher from Miami-Dade uh, in Florida. And I, I'm shamed, Sylvie, that you are the first teacher. But I'm also, I hope you're honored that you're honored. the very first Thank teacher you. we've ever had on the show. Um, and what a really cool conversation to have because um, we, we're amongst policy leaders. We have former Governor Jeb Bush uh, hosting this conference. Uh, we have superintendents of education from the state departments. We have superintendents at districts. But the rubber really hits the road where you are, Sylvie, and that's in the classroom. How did you get started in teaching? So I have, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here. I'm honored. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, this is my second year at the conference. And I've been looking forward to it for months. Last year, I left extremely inspired. And, you know, when you're here, you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who are passionate about creating change. And I feel like I fit into that bunch, why, which is why I love being here. So to answer your question, how I became a teacher is extremely non-traditional. I was recruited to the University of Miami as a Division I athlete for rowing. And all throughout college, I was pre-med, studied chemistry, all of the things and um, public health, health communication. Yeah. And I graduated, took the MCAT twice. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to go to medical school. What should I do? And I was looking into a bunch of different options and Teach for America fell into my lap. To be honest, I did not know much about it. I did the interview. It was extremely lengthy. And for the interview, you have to read a lot of papers and prepare. And in doing so, I learned about the inequities and I learned about the opportunity gaps. And I was just completely shocked because, you know, every child deserves an opportunity to learn and to receive an excellent education. And that's just not the reality right now. So I joined Teach for America thinking it would be a two-year commitment and then I'd do something else. And here I am in my third year, still at a low-income Title I school. And, you know, my students keep me coming back every day. They love learning and they're sponges and they want to right. learn. And what, yeah. where, where did you start teaching when you came out of T, when you started with TFA? In Overtown in Miami. So it's yep. a low income, high crime area, which is experiencing a lot of gentrification now. So I'm seeing the population. Our school was over 99% black. And now we have in my, in my classroom, over 40% Hispanic children. So we're seeing that shift happen. Um, and I'm at the same school where I started with Teach for America. Wow. And growing up as a young rower, where was that? Where did, where did you uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Connecticut. Um, where? My, in Greenwich, Connecticut. Of course. <laughs> I am very grateful. My parents very. provided me with all of the opportunities I needed to succeed. I went to public school, had a great public school education, was did all the things, right? Was in the school band, was an athlete. And, you know, going to college, I kind of was in a bubble, right? 
And it wasn't until Teach for America where I was exposed to all of these inequities and, you know, challenges that everyone, not everyone, but more than we think sure. we're facing. It's got to be an amazing transition. I've been to Greenwich many times. I have family there. Um, it's, let's face it, not very diverse. Um, how how much of a transition was it for you to walk into uh, a Title I school and try to figure out how to relate all of the knowledge that you picked up? Sounds like you did a lot of amazing work in college uh, to kids who, you know, probably not used to seeing a six foot two white woman talking <laughs> to about chemistry with them. Yes, exactly. So when I first started, I taught fifth grade. Yep. Now I'm teaching first for context, first grade. Yeah. And I honestly did not feel like I fit in at the school, but I was surrounded by inspiring individuals. Two of my colleagues are here at the conference today. And together we created a community where I feel like I didn't have to kind of hide where I came from and maybe be... right you know, embarrassed, but kind of embrace it. So I talk about travel with my students. I talk about the opportunities I've had. I talk about, I talk about, you know, the classes I've taken in college and expose them to those, you know, experiences that they can one day want it for themselves and they can know it's out there and be successful. Well, I mean, I wish I had had more of you in my life as a teacher's uh, in front. You, you are so inspired. I really can feel the energy that you bring. I mean, I really think we 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 could use more teachers. Now, you and I, when we first talked before the show, you, you wanted to talk about social emotional learning. Yes. Uh, I've been around longer than you have, and I've heard a lot of buzzwords in American education. And uh, I'd say social emotional learning is at or top of the list the last five years or Absolutely. so. It's also become a little controversial. And I wonder... Uh, sometimes if if it if we don't say it so much, it, it almost means nothing. What when you think of social emotional learning, what, what do you think of? What what does it mean to you in in a few words? So first of all, thank you very much for you know acknowledging my passion. It's there, and especially when it comes to SEL, which is you know the abbreviation for social emotional learning, I get excited. Social emotional learning provides students and adults with the tools they need to live their daily life. So things that we kind of take for granted, like self-awareness. How are you feeling right now? What does that feeling look like? What does it sound like? How do you act upon it? Things that come naturally to some don't come naturally to others. So I'm providing students with the opportunities to learn about self-awareness, to learn about relationship building skills, to learn how to cope with stress, to learn how to organize, how to communicate, all of these essential life tools. So I'm I, right now this year, I'm teaching math and science, but you know, my goal is to teach these children how to become good human beings, how to live a life of kindness and mindfulness and be aware so that they can, you know, help this world and they are our next generation of leaders. Is resiliency, you know, one of the building blocks of, of SEL? Absolutely. My students come in with stories that, you know, could make you shed a tear with their traumas and the disadvantages that they face. And I'm teaching them how to deal with that because it's a lot for a six or seven year old to process, you know, seeing their uncle get shot the night before. How are they supposed to show up to school and sit up nice and tall in their scholar position and engage in a conversation without processing that? How do you handle that? So I have- That very instance. Yeah, absolutely. So my class is a family. We have trust we have vulnerability, we have community and inclusiveness. The second you walk in my door, you'd feel it. Anyone and everyone is welcomed. So students know at the door, if they need to tell me something, 
They can step aside and everyone, when they come in, they have their morning work. And I also have my one-on-one check-ins. So if something is coming up that's top of mind, we'll talk about it right then and there. And then we'll come to our morning meeting. And if a child is comfortable, we'll share it with the class, see who can relate and what advice the children have for that other child. I'm all about students teaching students. We do meditation, affirmations, and really learn how to acknowledge our, you know, our disadvantages. And then we can work forward. We shouldn't just ignore something horrible that has happened to us. We should, because then we'll have childhood traumas. We're an adult, as many of us experience. So we need to learn how to deal with it in the moment and communicate and let out our feelings. You you must have off the top of your head a dozen really positive, happy stories. Give me one of them. Okay. So, um, well, a happy story, not necessarily related to social-emotional learning, but about teaching is when a child really learns and you see them kind of feeling defeated and I can't do this. And we change their mindset and we say, you can do this. And a few moments later, they go from having their head down and their pouty face to actually solving the problem and being confident and sharing their answer. That's what makes me proud. That's what makes me happy is seeing those learning gains and seeing a child light up. I see when my children gain confidence, that's that's what gives me sparks, right? That's a happy right. story. When a child maybe feels like they're alone. Or when a child comes in and I say, you look beautiful today. And they cry and they say, I haven't heard that yet today, Miss B. Or I Neither give- have I. <laughs> <laughs> and, or I give them a hug. And, you know, that physical yeah. touch, that human connection is, you know, rare for them. And they're a child. Every child deserves to feel loved and have a meaningful life. How did you hear about this conference? So last year, one of my colleagues, um, her family is familiar with the Bush family, and we got into the conference. And then from there, we were actually the only three educators at the conference last year. And we spoke up to Patricia and her incredible smart team. And we said, we need more teachers here. There are amazing policies being discussed, school choice, red zones, all of it. Why don't we know about that as teachers? Let's get teachers here on scholarship because it is expensive and let's have these discussions. And, you know, Excel and Ed is very transformative. And when you have an idea, they listen and they run with it. And I admire that about this group. And now we have 51 educators, 51 teachers here at this college. I heard him acknowledge you guys this morning. That was really cool. (laughs) Um, Last thing is, uh, what's the plan for Sylvie Brownstein the rest of the way? Are you, do you have a a roadmap for going higher in education? So I'm finishing up my master's right now in education and social change. And I also work for a nonprofit called Breakthrough Miami, in addition to teaching. And Breakthrough is an opportunity generator. And what I do there is I create the mental health, social, emotional wellness curriculum. We call it wellness because it's embodied not just in learning, but also the students, the scholars enrichments and seeing their success in their emotional intelligence is fueling me right now. So I'm going to take my passion for social emotional learning and I'm going to continue to learn more and connect with incredible, inspiring colleagues and see where that takes me. Well, Sylvie Brownstein, thank you for being on the clock. I think I can promise that I'm going to hear and see more of you down the road. Thank you. Um, you, you, you seem like you have um, 
a lot of runway for a lot of success. And thank you for what you do. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Before we close out, yeah. I would like for you and for all of your smart listeners to join me in taking a few deep breaths just to recenter before we go on with our busy day. So breathe in. Exhale. Breathe in. Exhale. And now you can go on with your day. Very good. I feel better already. Good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. On the Clock is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, please visit us at stratagosgroup.com. See you next time. <laughs>